Welcome to Dream Makers, candid conversations with women that will change the way that you see success, purpose, and what it takes to bridge the two. I'm Neha Sampat, a three-time tech founder and CEO with a focus on companies that are places to dream big, build up, and be a good human. I'm CEO of ContentStack, and I'm also a certified sommelier. So yes, we drink wine here. I am joined today by Rithika and Nikki Sham Dasani, sisters and co-founders of Sani, a South Asian-inspired fashion brand with thoughtfully designed and culturally inspiring clothing. Today, we're going to talk about starting a business with family, honoring cultures authentically, and entrepreneurship as a series of small steps. Let's get started. Hi, ladies. Hi, thanks for having us. It's so good to have you on. So your co-founders and your sisters, which is really awesome. I don't think I've ever had sisters on before. What is it like running a business with your sister? Oh, a, a lot of highs and a lot of lows. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so it's funny because if you would ask Nikki and I before like we started Sony, if we had ever run a business together, let alone a fashion brand, our answer would be no, never in a million years. (laughs) And so like when we started Sani, like it was really getting over a learning curve to realize how to go from being in a sister relationship to a co-founder relationship. And we basically had to learn like how to communicate with each other in an entirely new way, which was, which was a lot. But I will say like being sisters has also been, I think one of our biggest assets when it comes to building the brand, because we know each other like no other. And like, we work really, really well together, but that obviously took time. It took a lot of long conversations and fights to get over, to get to that (laughs) point. But it helps because our dad actually works with his seven brothers and sisters. So we grew up really seeing how entrepreneurship could be a family affair in like a beautiful way. That's really awesome to hear. I actually, not a lot of people know this, but my husband and I are co-founders at Condon Stack and we've been on an entrepreneurial journey together for 15 years. And it is, I agree, like the highs and the lows, but I've always found that there's like common alignment because in the end you're trying to get to the same thing and we both benefit with the successful outcome. And so it's helped to kind of just keep us grounded. And, you know, from your perspectives, it's like sisters first. And in my world, you know, it's my marriage. We've been married almost 20 years. So it's also like that whole, like, how do you balance those things? So let's move on to having a quick taste of the wine. And I was told that I should choose something that would inspire a lifelong love of wine because Ruthika just turned 21. So I'm so honored that I get to do this with you. And so I chose something that I, that's a bit delicate, kind of special, pretty light bodied. And it's from, it's from Burgundy and Burgundy wines, red Burgundy wines are always Pinot Noir and almost always hundred percent Pinot Noir. So we're having a Santané Pinot Noir. It's a, a Cote de Bonne. I've got my glass here. <laughs> so cheers. I know, I know you're not drinking out of wine glass, but the wine is going to be just as delicious. And so when you're tasting the wine, start with like just taking in the scent, the aroma. And this one is like pretty fruit forward. And it's because it's like kind of a delicate wine, you might get the florals and some of the red fruits. So it's got a little bit of violet rose petals, you know, on the floral side, and then maybe some like ripe cherry or even black cherry on the nose and then have a taste. 
Oh, I like that. <laughs> do you? I do. Good thing. No. She really, she hadn't taken a sip, obviously, yet. No, so this, this is this is, is actually my first sip, and I actually like that. And I've always stayed away from, well, as of February, I've always stayed away from <laughs> wines because I was like, I don't know if I can be a wine girl. Like, it's so bitter, but I guess I just was not having the right one. I like this one. I started tasting wine when I was 19 because I was living in France and studying abroad. And so I got a little bit like earlier access to it and I kind of fell in love with wine. And so this region in particular is so beautiful. And so it, like it's one of those things that when you taste the right wine, it kind of transports you to a place. And this one does that for me. So I wanted to share that with you and in your like early wine journey. <laughs> Thank you for not only sharing that, but also how to open a wine bottle. <laughs> That was probably one of the greatest pleasures of my week was what <laughs> coaching you through using that corkscrew, which um, it's one of those corkscrews that your arms go up. And so it was kind of fun to watch. Let's jump in and learn more about your, your entrepreneurial journey. So let's start with this. What advice would you give to other entrepreneurs that are going into business with their family, especially when you're, you know, you're dealing with conflicts? For me, it's family always comes first. And I mean, that was something that we were taught by our dad. You know, there were several times, especially at the very beginning when we'd show up to like a family meal in a fight and, you know, wouldn't be talking to each other. And our dad, having worked with his six brothers and sisters, like sat us down one of those times. And he told us like, the business never, ever comes first. You too our sisters first, and you need to remember that relationship first. So I think whether it's your partner, your sister, your mom, your dad, whomever you're going into business with that's family, like always make sure that relationship comes first and make sure there are ways for that to happen, right? Like it's not that you should necessarily always talk about business. Like for us, it's been like, what are the fun things that we can also do together to make sure that our only relationship nowadays is not just co-founders and it is sisters and it is friends and all of those things. So I think, I think building in those ways to make sure you preserve the family part of your relationship is really important. That's really, really good advice and very mature <laughs> advice. Talk about how your strengths complement each other. Like some, you know, maybe each of you can talk about something that your sister excels at. Okay. You want me to go first? Yeah, you, you can go first. Go first? I think Rithika is really good at taking a big picture view of something. I think a lot about execution, like right off the bat, even when we're in brainstorming mode and she's really good at bringing it back to, okay, but like what's possible? Let's think beyond that. And I think like that's actually been a really big asset, especially when it comes to like, so, so TikTok's huge for us in our business and uh, she's really driven like a lot of our, our TikTok growth. And so being able to think beyond like, what are the stories that we're telling? What is the value we're providing? Like beyond just like, what's the next thing we're designing and, and what's the next thing we need to fix on the website and this and that. I think she's been really good about helping us make sure that we're, we're zooming out and thinking about the big picture and the stories and everything. So good job on that. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. That's the first time I'm here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So it's funny because I think Nikki kind of said her strength in her answer right now because she is extremely good at executing. And I think that's really, really important for like early stage startups. And the thing that she excels in is she can execute on pretty much any 
topic, right? So she's, she's not afraid to get her hands dirty and like go into design versus going into filming versus QuickBooks, which I know she, she hates so much with the passion. Like in the end, she will get everything done and she'll get it done on a timely manner. And I mean, I'll try to do that, but sometimes I am, (laughs) like she said, like too caught up in the bigger picture, too caught up with worrying about like the smallest detail versus with her. She is very like driven and whenever she sets her mind to something like that will get done even if there is a tornado outside and she probably shouldn't (laughs) be working on it. Those are both incredible compliments. That's awesome. You talked about your father running a business with his family. What was it like as a you know kid kind of growing up watching him run it and and how do you think that's impacted your views on entrepreneurship? I don't think I registered like growing up how much we were absorbing from him and just like the day to day and how he handled things. And I think one of the biggest thing that he taught us was like, don't sweat the small stuff. Like you can't let the order that said it was going to come in two weeks ago, but is now delayed to four weeks, like cause your whole day to be ruined. You look at that problem, you register that problem, you take it step by step and you figure out what's next. And I think like that can get really, really overwhelming. But growing up, we just saw him do it again and again and again. And his attitude throughout all of it was always so positive. And I think having that positive attitude for us now, like we we forget it sometimes, we forget to be positive, but coming back to like, our dad can do it and he's been doing it for this long and we saw him do it. And that's what helped not only him flourish, but his business flourish. That's been really, really important. I think I'm just watching that. And I think in addition to that, it's just how much hard work it takes. I mean, you know, we grew up lucky enough to where, you know, if we needed to take a week off to or wanted to for a family vacation, you know, our dad as one of the bosses could do that, but he'd be working on vacation. Yeah. And if something suddenly happened at, at midnight, like the alarm went off in the store or, you know, what, what, whatever it might be, like it was on him and his brothers and sisters and sort of every final step, like they were accountable. And so I think like being able to see simultaneously being accountable to yourself, like the good things and the bad things that, right. that came from that, or I, I shouldn't even say bad things, the, the hard things. The learning opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Did you think that you would follow in his footsteps? Did you envision that growing up? No, not at all. So it's it's actually <laughs> funny because both of us were really on different paths. I um I was really into computer science and actually coding in high school. So I attended programs like Girls Who Code, Code with Classy. I even interned at Amazon and I fully came into college thinking I was going to be a computer science major and then go work at like maybe like a big tech company one day and then life did a whole 180 on me and now I'm running Sonny with her (laughs) and no longer a computer science major whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah and and I was actually really interested in working like in politics and policy and actually my first job after college was with a consulting firm in their federal practice and the intention was to take that and continue to work in DC and so By no means did I think I was going to be running a company and for sure not a fashion brand like that especially was was did not seem like it was in the cards. 
That's amazing. And it's it's also, I think, for our listeners that are early in their careers to know that it's okay to change paths. And sometimes you kind of ro- roll with the opportunities as they come your way. You can't plan everything, you know, and, and sometimes the best opportunities happen by chance or by luck. Absolutely. So your family is South Asian. You grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. What was that experience like? Yeah. You know, Fayetteville is a small town that's become more and more diverse over time, but especially like when I was in school and and I know the same was true for you and we're seven years apart. So there's a, a little distance there, but I was one of four South Asians in my entire class. And I could count on two fingers overall, how many there were in, in the school at any given time. And so it was hard to feel connected and to feel like there was sort of a, a full integration with like, at least for me, like my cultural identity in and mm-hmm. out of school. I felt like I was South Asian outside of school. Like when I came home and would eat, you know, Indian food and watch Bollywood movies and do all the things. And then at school, just eat like my peanut butter sandwich and talk about like NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys because nobody at my school knew anything about Bollywood or, you know, pop culture yeah. over there. So so I feel like it was it was hard to feel like I could bring my full self into play. And, and that really only changed when, for me, at least I, I went to college and was actually around a lot of people with a lot of different cultural identities who are all trying to figure out like how to show up like as their full selves. That resonates with me so much. I, I feel very similar with my upbringing growing up and being Indian at home. And I don't know if, if you've heard the term ABCD. It's <laughs> American born confused Desi. And it's about it's literally just about that, what we go through growing up Indian in the US. <laughs> totally. And I think like the awesome thing now is I mean, so before, I guess we were the main conduits for like sharing South Asian culture, Indian culture, like when we went to school or whatever, because we weren't represented in the mainstream. But the cool thing is like, now there's never have I ever. Now there's even, I mean, I know Bridgerton didn't like only show like them being Indian, but like there were aspects of it to it. And like so many famous actors and and people that are talking about being South Asian in the mainstream so that we are not sort of like the only representations that people are seeing and, and there's just more to connect to. So I think it's like, I, I know not all of the problems are fixed for like this generation, but I feel like it is different. So with that cultural connection that we all kind of crave, you talked about how Sani helped bridge that gap. Talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. So it's funny because Sani really came out of a personal problem, but it also created, like Nikki said, it it brought us like our full identity, I guess you could say. And we were shopping for an Indian wedding. And you probably know this experience, but it involved traveling to like the Edison, New Jersey's and Atlanta, Georgia's (laughs) of the world, and then hated everything out of there. And then we were on WhatsApp video call with our grandmother in India being like, hey, Nani, can you go to stores and shop for me? But then like, Wi-Fi cut out. She didn't know how to flip the camera. That ended terribly. And then at that time, it was like, okay, maybe eBay, the picture will come out as it as it said it would. And 
we we really saw how difficult it was to do it from from the US and we talked to a lot of other south asian people and realized that everyone was settling for a subpar experience and subpar options and there really wasn't anyone bringing south asian culture to the US in an accessible way. And so that personal problem turned into Sani and it really started off with 15 pieces that were made all in our sizes because we were like, if this fails, we'll just have clothes. It won't be a complete failure. <laughs> and it, it turned into a brand that I think has given us our identity. It's given us the ability to share South Asian culture on mainstream platforms like Rent the Runway and TikTok. And it's it's given us something that we're really proud of. And, and we're going to continue screaming it from the roof, rooftops and just really bringing the culture to the fashion industry and to the U.S. in a way that it's never been seen before. That's really awesome. And you were in high school when this all started, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what was yeah. that like? So I will be honest with you, in high school, I saw Sonia as like, oh, this will be a fun little, during the 15 pieces time, I was like, this is a fun little resume booster, I'll go to college, like call it a day, and then be done with it. I I had no idea it was going to become what it would become, and I, was, I wasn't as checked in as I think I am now, and I think me being checked in has helped the brand a lot more. So like in high school, it was just almost like this side hustle passion thing that I didn't realize the full potential of. But I'm glad I I came to that realization soon after that. You described your growth as a series of small steps. And, you know, entrepreneurship is overwhelming for people at all stages and it doesn't really change or stop. But can you break that down? What does the series of small steps mean? Yeah. For us, it was like, what are the most important things for us to to test? So I mean, like, I guess our, our hypotheses and like, then how do we break it down? So I mean, we didn't start with a brand deck or a very well thought out social strategy or any of those things. For us, it was like, one thing we want to test is, does it matter if we like design the pieces? versus just wholesaling from India, you know? And like, does it matter if we're bringing our our identities as South Asian Americans to the design process? And can we actually create like a more accessible way of shopping for it? A way that people find easier, that they prefer to going to India. So the 15 pieces were, like she said, all, all in our sizes, but like they were the test of can we design these pieces that people actually like? And so for that, I mean, I think if we had started with even thinking like, oh, we have to design 15 unique pieces. We have no idea like where to get these made, no idea how to do anything, have never designed anything in our lives. It would have been super overwhelming and we probably wouldn't have done it. We literally started making this like Frankenstein Google slide deck, which we now call our portfolio, first portfolio, but like, I, I don't really know what it was of like what we'd want to see in our ideal piece. So we love this kind of drape, but it's always falling off. So we'd love for it to do this. We love this type of embroidery, but uh, the colors are never quite right. Or it's a little too gold. Like we wish it was a little more subdued. So Frankenstein together, sort of our ideal collection, hadn't even thought at that point about how do we produce it? It was literally just like, what would we design if we could? Then the next step was, all right, well, let's go to India and find some people to to help us make these pieces. And so 
obviously there were a lot of steps after that, but it was just like, what is the one thing we can do right now to test this hypothesis of like, we can design things that other people will want and they're the things that we'd want to. And I think that's really important because otherwise it's like so easy to get caught up with, okay, well, you know, when the pieces are here, how do we like, how do we get the perfect social media pictures? What are we doing here, here, here? And it's just like, it starts to build up and become too much. So by small steps, we're like, literally, what is the next small thing you can do like in under a day that will bring you closer to knowing if this hypothesis is correct or not? That's really, really good advice. And it takes some of the intimidation out of trying to build something new from scratch. You worked with The Runway, had a partnership with them. How did that help you? What was that like? Yeah, so we kept having people ask us if they could rent our pieces, and especially non-South Asians, right, who might not want to buy a piece because this may be the only Indian wedding they ever go to. And we had thought about doing it ourselves, like in a very small scale way, but then started to think about like, where do our customers already go for rentals and like, who is already doing this in the best way possible. And that's when, I mean, it was pretty early on, like when we said Rent the Runway would be one of our ideal partners. And so for a little while, we were like trying to figure out ways to get connected but then somebody who I, I, I really am grateful for was like, what would happen if you just tried to email the CEO? Like, you know, there are these many permutations of an email and you can probably get one. And so I was like, yeah, you know, you're right. Because I wasn't taking that challenge in small steps. I was like, how do we get connected? And what capabilities do we need to have? And this and that, like for this to happen. So I said, all right, let's send an email. So sent a cold email to Jen Hyman and she was awesome enough to respond and forward us on to the right people. And that partnership was so huge for us because of that like accessibility piece one, right? So for South Asians and non-South Asians alike, a low risk way to try our pieces or get outfitted for an Indian wedding, but also the context part actually for us. So We made a video with Rent the Runway showing like, these are the styles. This is their history. This is Mm. the context. This is how you wear them. It wasn't just, let's just put this up and hope people get it. And I think getting to do that on such a mainstream platform and having their name sort of behind us and reaching a a whole new population was really, really huge for for our, our mission and everything. Yeah. And you get credibility by being associated with a brand that's well-known as well. In the pre-interview, you talked about the seasons of entrepreneurship. What does that mean? That was your thing. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For me, the seasons of entrepreneurship are really about like, not only the highs and lows, but also like the starts and stops. Like, I think what's talked about in the world is like, when you get that partnership or when you launch that collection or like when the thing happens that often involves months and months and Mm -hmm. months before it. And I think at the very beginning, like I would get really frustrated when things weren't happening or it felt like they weren't happening when really it was just like, 
about being consistent every single day. And then all of a sudden, like a lot of things happen at once. And then you're patient again for a long period of time and you're planting all the seeds and then things happen. And it's, it's like constantly about that, like your garden of your business, like everything constantly feels like it's in a different stage, like just planted or growing, or it's like time to like pick the vegetables or whatever it is. And it's about like being patient for each cycle and being ready to like move quickly when it is Mm -hmm. time to like harvest the crops or whatever, if we're going to extend that analogy. I mean, I still get super, super impatient, but I think it was for me about like just learning about the, the season so that I could just feel like we weren't always behind, I think. I think that's a trait of entrepreneurs. You're like always a little bit too hard on yourselves. And nurture is such an important part of, of entrepreneuring. And there, there's certain things that take longer than others. And it's like practicing the patience. And I think that that's really eloquent how you put it. So talk about your customer base a little bit. Who makes up the customer base? Is it mostly South Asian women? You know, and, and how do you encourage or discourage women from other cultures from wearing Indian clothes or saris and other formal outfits? Yeah. So for our formal wear, it's primarily South Asian Americans living in the U.S. on usually below 40, if we're talking like age demographic in major cities. And what we really say about other people wearing the clothes is we want you to wear the clothes. We're excited for people to celebrate in the culture. We love it when people celebrate in the culture, as long as there's context behind it. And I think that's where there's this fine line between these buzzy terms of what's cultural appreciation versus appropriation. And it's a tricky line. Like there's, there's plenty you can cross that's, that's a little bit risky, but for us, it's like, if you understand the meaning behind something why it's being put out into the world, like what is the cultural significance of it, then you can wear it. And I mean, that's like the whole thing of like wearing bindis at Coachella, like that's not appropriate, right? But if a non-South Asian goes to a South Asian wedding in a traditional anarkali, I think that's appreciation and the biggest form of flattery for whoever is getting married, right? Like they came there to celebrate in the culture and celebrate you. So that's how we really think about that line versus appreciation and appropriation. And we we encourage everyone to wear anarkalis, wear saris, wear langas. Like it's there for a reason. And that's why we want more and more people to know about it and know that I think what we say is like the only South Asian style is not a sari. Cause that's, I think the connotation people have, right? It's like, for oh, sure. all you do is wear saris. And we're like, no, there's so much more out there that you're missing. And it's all so beautiful, so... What does Sani do to help people like learn that? Yeah. So actually a big part of our content on TikTok, on Instagram, on all social is like educational related. So we will talk about the fact that we're using a Lucknowi fabric in this outfit and it's from the region Lucknow in India and how like each one of these beads on there, that's a type of handwork embroidery. And maybe you've seen it in Talbots before on something that people just call like a tunic, but it's actually originated from India. And like, then we talk about like the specific embroideries that align to a specific group. And we really just try and like educate in a way that's not talking down to people, but it's almost just giving them something interesting and something exciting that they probably didn't know about. But now that they know about it, they'll 
associate it more, right? They'll realize that like there's a certain significance, there's a certain thing that these people are trained to do that like is being put out into the world. So we we really try and make education a really big part of our content strategy. That's important because also like South Asian fashion has shown up in fashion in general in a lot of ways, whether it's like the thing at, at a store that is removed from its context or, you know, in high fashion on runways, like so many high fashion designers do all of their embroideries in India because India, you know, is so well known for it, but they remove it from the context, right? So you have no idea that like, there's this region that has been like, known for this embroidery that created this embroidery and has been doing it for hundreds of years. And so for us, it's just like, how can we create more context? So like the next time you see something, you know, and you're not thinking of any cultural wear as a costume. Yeah. And it's pride in the art and the origination. That's really beautiful. So you have a pretty big following on TikTok for the business. What kind of content do you post and what have you learned from like what your customers are looking for? Yeah. So it was funny because I didn't think TikTok was going to stay a thing. I was actually so apprehensive to get on this platform because I was like, eh, I'll be there for a week. Like, why would I devote any of my time to it? But Nikki was like, no, TikTok's the next thing. We need to get on here. We need to start posting. So props to her for actually doing that because it's really helped our business a lot. But so it's funny. We got on TikTok right during the pandemic. And actually that was right after the Rent the Runway launch. And we were in a really bad place because no one was going to Indian weddings anymore. We felt like we had kind of gotten on this high of like, this is our pivotal moment. We launched on this big platform and then our sales went down to zero. Like our Shopify showed zero. And so TikTok was like, okay, this will be a brand awareness tool until weddings come back. And weddings weren't going to come back for a while, but we didn't know that. And what we found on TikTok was actually a community. And this community was filled with South Asians, but also non-South Asians. And they were like, I want to join in the culture and I want a way to join in the culture that's appreciation. So on TikTok, we found this community of people and we actually created a whole category for them, which is our loungewear styles that are also on our website. And that community has sold out our loungewear style batches ever since we got it in 2020, except until now when we've ordered enough finally. So we found a community on TikTok and this community responded to all kinds of content, right? They wanted the journey of being sister entrepreneurs. They wanted the, the educational components that I spoke about earlier. They wanted things that just telling them like things you should wear to an Indian wedding or random things in this outfit that just makes sense. And it's really interesting because the kind of content that they want changes all the time. Like it's it's not like we can just produce the same video like 15,000 times because the beauty of TikTok is like you have to always be on your toes and, and really figure out like, okay, today, like what is it that I think I can put out into the world that's good energy, that provides value and is something that my community will love. And so now that's kind of like our overarching theme for content. We're like, if it fills any of those buckets, we're going to post it kind of thing. And the, and the cool thing uh, that TikTok has also provided is like a dialogue. So not, not only about new styles, which yes, like those new styles came directly out of it, but also like any time we have a question, whether it is, where should we do this pop-up? 
or, you know, what sort of things are you still missing? And like one thing that we heard was a more extended size range. Like we are constantly going to TikTok to figure out like different components of our business. And it's, it's not the type of social media where it's just like, you're posting a thing and then it's just out there. And again, it's not two way. I think, I think that's the biggest part of it. Like people actually want to participate in your business and in the conversation. And maybe more importantly, they want to get to know you as people. Like, I think the second we started posting about ourselves as sisters and founders and like, we don't love being in front of a camera, which is why we had never done it before. You're incredible at it. (laughs) uh, Thank you. I mean, like that's when, I feel like things started to change for the business, yeah. even during a pandemic when our initial category suddenly had no relevance whatsoever. So I think that's been really cool. So you've, you've talked about building out the whole Sunny experience and like the whole world around that. And part of it is your story, right? But why was it important to offer more than just the clothes? Like what, how does that come back to, you know, your voice, your brand being authentic? How do you think about that? Yeah, for us, it's like South Asian culture is such a big part of pop culture now. And fashion is is one form of that, right? Like fashion is such an important part of expression, but there's so much more to it. There's the music, there's the food, there's so many other components. So to us, it's about like, how can we be an open door to the culture in general? And so for us, when we imagine pop-up experiences and collaborations and even like hopefully in the future like helping fund new creative expressions of of the culture like that's what gets us excited right it's not just the clothes which I think you know for every business it's like what's your why and this and that like yeah for us it's it's not just the clothes it's about something bigger than that and that necessitates like bringing people into the culture in a lot of different ways. So that's, that's what we're really excited to do. And I think like, that's also what keeps the business for us personally, like really fun and engaging all the time. I mean, sure. Clothing is really interesting. It's a challenge to design things, but to constantly be like thinking even beyond that, like what, what should we include beyond that? Just yeah, it keeps us on new learning curves all the time and <laughs> keeps it fun. What's next for Sunny? Well, we, we have a lot of exciting partnerships, collaborations, new products coming out, um, new types of content coming out. We are trying to water all of our plants at once right now, <laughs> if we're going back to your garden metaphor. And we think a lot of them are going to be very fruitful. And so, so we're excited to see what 2022 holds, but it's a lot of that world building that Nikki talked about and just making that manifest in different ways. Yeah. I think like we're still really early in, in the business. And so for us to like not get too comfortable and continue to like experiment and make sure we're listening to our customers and all the things like that, that's, that's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to make sure that that we aren't stagnant. So we have a lot of fun things in the works. And then we'll see what works, what doesn't, what feedback we get, and then keep improving from there. I'm super excited to have met you both. And I'm excited to follow your journey further. I have, I know wedding seasons are all back in full swing. (laughs) I have three in my own family happening this year. So I'm excited to have learned about you guys. 
And so I want to say thank you, but I want to close off by asking my rapid fire questions and um, I'll throw those out to you and maybe we'll have one last toast with the wine. So let's start with what is your wake up song? Anything Drake or Taylor Swift. (laughs) For me, it's currently this Indian song called Kangana because it has a good beat and it gets me out of bed. (laughs) Okay, awesome. If the 19-year-old you, which isn't that long ago (laughs) for for some of us, (laughs) asked you today what they should read or listen to, what would you say? Practical, how I built this, like more abstract, listen to yourself and listen to your mom. (laughs) I think for me, it's like, listen to your peers as well. I think like I've, I've always chased like mentorship and mentorship is awesome, but I think I undervalued just like how valuable it was to kind of keep up with peers that are doing what you're doing and going through the same things as well. Awesome. Do you have a favorite beverage you'd recommend? Chameleon cold brew concentrate with oat milk and specifically the caramel flavor. Highly recommend. Okay. <laughs> That's more specific than mine, but I was going to say matcha. Matcha's having a moment mm. and it doesn't give me jitters like coffee. So if you get coffee jitters, try matcha. I love it. What should our listeners do tomorrow to help them become dream makers? Don't be the one to tell yourself no. I think it's important to live by that every day. So I would say that. Yeah. I think have your dream and hold on to it, but figure out one thing you can do today. Just one thing to get you closer to that dream and then do that every single day. Amazing. You're both so awesome. Thank you again. I want to cheers to you. This was a lot of fun. Great conversation. Hope you enjoy the rest of that wine. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you again for coming on the show. I will be cheering for you from the sidelines and watching your success. So thank you again. Thank Thank you so much, Neha. Great chatting. Thanks so much for listening to the Dream Makers podcast. You can reach out to me, Neha Sampat, on Twitter at NehaSF, that's N-E-H-A-S-F, with your comments, suggestions, your favorite wake-up song, wine, or Dreammaker Woman to know. Please also leave a review and subscribe to Dreammakers wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, keep dreaming big, building up, and being a good human.